Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us on the show today is Susan Joseph, amongst all things, co-founder and CEO of Health Trans AI. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Happy so, Friday to all. Yes, and have a wonderful day, everyone. It feels like I, I am losing track of days in the week, but you know, it's been a while. <laughs> So first off, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, the story behind Health Trans AI? Sure. Um, the story of Health Trans AI is last year, I saw that data seemed to show up on certain sites and then come down from certain sites and show up on certain sites and come down from during certain sites at the start of the pandemic. And I thought, well, the first line of defense that we have in any sort of situation like this where there's an unknown would be the data. So data is essential to fighting anything. And so I wanted to help in that effort. And I created a volunteer effort that ran data collection of the public state's data uh, on health trends, certain facts of, about it, starting last March. and we made that available to first responders who definitely used it i know for sure for predictions and their own analyses on how to manage their own populations so the genesis of this was starting a volunteer effort to see how we could help and how we could serve but from that as we started to get into seeing what was going on with each state's data because remember we're looking at 50 states we thought well there's definitely a way to make a business here and there's a way to provide better access to data and analytics and that was the genesis of the idea is that this needs to be something this sadly probably won't be the only pandemic we ever experience or health event that we experience and i know that the states are charged with by constitutionally charged uh, through their police powers by supporting public health data. So it's always going to be a state uh, issue in the US. That's how we're governed. And so we need to figure out some ways, in my view, on how to support that and how to make better public health access data uh, to all. Well, and, and, and I'm going to jump in and, and have you connect the dots, because when, when you and I first met years ago, you know, you were working with data and analytics and doing stuff for, for banks, and, and you made this jump to light speed from going from financial transaction data and financial data and how all that fits into everything else, and then going to, you know, this idea of health. Now, a year ago, you know, we, we had not just a lack of data, but we had a lot of sort of political shenanigans trying to like figure out how to you know block certain data and like you had certain governors having a little bit less transparency around data and everything else i totally get why you would be diving into this but between your work in ai and blockchain and financial data how did you go from kind of the things that you were working on into this was it just you saw the need and you saw that somebody needed to step in like give us a little bit more flavor to your background and then this decision sure so it was in part a need and in part an evolution. So I, my background is I'm a lawyer who's worked in financial services um, and blockchain uh, and data, as you said, and I also consult in that area and I've been 
in the fintech space since about 2014, and then in the blockchain space since about 2016. But before that, I had an extremely traditional career as a lawyer and also as a general counsel of an insurer. So if you want to talk about the magic link, what do insurers do? They use data for predictions and manage risk. And that is the magic link because when I saw the types of data that we were collected and actually, interestingly enough, in certain countries, certain Freedom of Information Act requests were used to try and get at proprietary data. I thought, well, you know, really this, this data is, is all important for every type of business and it, it's all types of data are important. So the fact that public health came along and became such a need was something that I seized on. But the idea that data supports all of our transactions, I mean, payments to everything else, you know, it, this data matters. Public health data isn't just for health. It's for economic lifestyle. It's for many, many uses. Well, we want to make sure that we congratulate you on winning the recent National Science Foundation grant on your blockchain and AI health informatics work. So you know, talk to us a little bit more about the project, because it's not just collecting data, it's understanding it and then providing ways for other people to sort of untap and unleash the power of that data for good. So could you talk about the project itself and, and what winning uh, that that grant is going to help you guys do? Sure, I would be happy to talk about it. So I first just want to give you a little bit of uh, flavor of the NSF. So um, those grants we were recently found out 97% of them go to academic institutions, which leaves a very small percentage that go to businesses like ours. So one, we were really thrilled that we were awarded the grant. And overall, approximately 10% of the applications are awarded grants. So that I just wanted to give a shout out to the NSF and to their process. Uh, so NSF exists to, in this scenario, to help fund, seed fund projects that have some technical risk. Anything with a blockchain, of course, is going to have some technical risk because it's an emerging technology. So that's what the NSF role is. They help on the uh, initial funding of this and they help move you towards commercialization as well. And so that's, you know, why they underwrite this because they want to underwrite innovation in in the US and they know that not every business can get funded in a traditional manner so that's that's where they they are uh what we do is collect the information make it easy to access and use but also provide insights regarding it and we have some goals to become sort of the source of trustworthy data for for anybody dealing with this kind of data. You know, we, we don't, we're a third party independent company. We don't have a political aspiration one way or the other. Our aspiration is to make data available that's public, that the public owns in a way that they can use it and insights from that as well. And we don't think that you should have to go to the Freedom of Information Act or hire a realm of data scientists for you to be able to use information that is publicly out there. I, I like that. 
Um, and, and on this show, we talk quite a bit about using data for good and using technology for good. Um, one of the recent developments we've started seeing a lot more is using satellite imagery for farmers and it helps them secure loans. Uh, recently, I read another one that um, using satellite, it helps them identify the type of crops that they have, the states, and if there is disaster, then they can react faster. So there's a lot of good that comes from data. So in your case, in the, in the use cases with blockchain, what are some of these use cases that get you excited? You talked about, you know, getting collecting the data, getting insights. Um, who are some of the users of, of the data that you're collecting and creating insights for? So it could be anybody from the states themselves trying to figure out how to legislate public policy. Do I need to do a shutdown? What's my... Uh, statistics compared to somebody else when I enacted this law, what happened? Um, it could be asset managers. Early on, I was talking to people who were investing in restaurants and entertainment, people who were staffing for those, um, people who were shipping anybody in the supply chain who was looking at, do I need a products from here, here to there? All of those, uh, parties are interested in this data beyond the obvious like insurers would certainly a health insurer or a life insurer or long-term care <clears throat> would be interested in this type of data uh, and i know because i've had those conversations but it's beyond that so and i will tell you too like i did understand coming from an insurance background that data is used for every possible prediction and in fact, the insurer that I was working for dealt with uh, trade finance. So you'd be surprised at the types of data that all companies use to make their predictions. I don't actually, th I think there's a lot of money spent on private data, uh, which is all well and good. We're sticking to public data because I think there's a lot that you can figure out from public data. It's been out there for a long time. It's uh, robust in terms of the way that it's been collected. So there's a lot that you can understand from it if you take a look at that side of things. I look at, so my, my, one of my examples might be Zillow. Look at what they've done with public data. They've created a whole business based on public data. Um, if you sort of keep that idea in mind, we will be creating an entire business based on public data. Well, it's it's good to see, you know, that that um, this current administration is putting a lot of dollars into both infrastructure in terms of technology development, R and D. They just announced another um, two hundred and fifty billion dollar investment into what, in essence, you know, was was DARPA type of projects, and a lot of that has to do with data, has to do with um, security. And and when you look at you know the space and look at the type available of available data. Um, you've been working, as we talked about earlier, with financial data analytics. You worked in insurance. Uh, you worked at work with other financial services firms, and now into health data. Can, can you talk about some of those learnings and touch on cryptocurrencies and digital assets, and sort of the future of this? Is it, you know, because when when I looked at these companies in the last you know five years, it it really is the data and sort of the blockchain blockchain technology as opposed to anything related to cryptocurrencies and digital assets that was more interesting. It's like the uh, talk about, you know, what, what has a legitimate place for the future 
uh, with how you're looking at data? So I would I would take it a step back. So when I look at cryptocurrencies, everybody sort of has a, oh, I know what that is. It's either good or it's bad. They kind of have a very black or white view of it. You're either a fan or you're not a fan. And then if you're a fan, you have a million reasons why you're a fan. And if you're not a fan, you have a million reasons why you're not a fan. I take a step back from that because cryptocurrencies to me, yes, they are a transfer of value through a digital system, but they also are um, basically a fee to use a type of software. And so if you think of that in that sense, you, you have to pay for every transaction that you use, whatever you might call it, a fee, a, a gas fee, whatever you might, whatever terminology might be used. We're looking really at open source technology. And that's to me is what's exciting. Open source and uh, public data. I think it's a really good match. And that's, so when I think of cryptocurrencies, that's kind of how I think about this whole sector is we're looking at new ways to do open source. So if you look at open source technologies in the past, they tend to be run by foundations and supported. Yes, anybody can contribute, but I asked myself, why would you contribute reputation? Okay, that's one reason. But why would you spend a lot of time contributing to a public good if you still also have to pay your mortgage? Like, would you do? So who supports that? Thankfully, large companies have their engineers working in open source projects and pay them their salary, even though they do that as well. But that's not the only way to get at that. There's plenty more um, imagination out there. And I see cryptocurrencies as a way to invoke that imagination and move open source projects forward in a different way or maybe a complementary way. So more imagination, better products. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe it quite like that before. Brad, that might be our um, golden quote right there. I'm learning, uh, <laughs> Susan, as, as we speak. Let's um, switch gear um, a, a little bit. Um, so we talk a lot about data. We live in a data-driven uh, economy. Everything that we do generates data, and everything that we do feels like is being tracked, right, in many ways. Um, there's a lot of discussion about how data is being used to profit, especially the big tech companies, and how some of those opportunities is lopsided. As consumers, right, how can we, or if that's even possible, to reduce oversharing? Um, and is data privacy a lost battle? Because I'm seeing different maneuverings and approach, right? Depends on which region you're in, if you're in the United States versus if you're in Europe um, versus if you're in Asia. So how data is treated is definitely a cultural and political phenomenon. Uh, we believe in, in the US, we tend to believe, or we espouse, aspire to believe that private data should be kept private. Look at HIPAA, for example, but regarding medical data, or look at even financial data. Some of that is, is kept very private as well. We're concentrating on public data because again, I said a lot of data is useful in the aggregate and in the public. So that's nothing that's personally identifiable. But again, when you're looking at public data, 
I don't think that all data is equal. Um, how it's collected and how you verify it and how you make sure that that public data is truthful is something that is of interest to us. And uh, one of the mechanisms that we're looking to institute through the NSF grant. So, yeah, and use blockchain for that. Um, so I agree that private data should be kept private, that everybody is approaching it from a different way. But the other thing too about data is just having data may not necessarily be enough. I mean, data, you hear about hacks all the time, right? That's old data that's out there. Is that valuable? To a degree, yeah, maybe for identity theft or uh, for other pieces. But for actual insights, is that valuable? I don't know. I mean, I would think that accurate real-time data is much more valuable for predictions uh, going forward. Because the quality of the data that you've seen hacked, how do you know? Do you have what? The Hackers Guild of Quality out there telling you that this data is good? How how do you know that that's, it's, it's something that's interesting and I think will evolve in the future, particularly as we get more people involved in cybersecurity, more interest, frankly, in the insurance world in cybersecurity, because right now they haven't really paid enough attention to it, in my opinion. So as you see more standards develop and more um, things develop, I think that you'll end up understanding what's truthful or not. We're hoping to put a mechanism in there that technologically works to support truthful data, public data, so you can trust it. I, I think it was interesting uh, this past Worldwide Developer Conference that Apple started the process of allowing you to share your personal health data with your medical professional um, or your hospital around you know exercise and around um, how much activity you are getting and information around you know whether you fell and that kind of stuff and the 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 cultural differences between that type of data being shared to help larger groups understand what's happening, not just with you personally, but with health in general, I think is something that is going to be really more and more important as to your point from earlier, we may face more pandemics or we may face more health challenges um, because with, with climate change and everything else, we don't know what's coming next, but we do know something is coming next because nobody predicted this. Um, when you think about, you know, personal, private, and you talk about open data and aggregated data. Can you give us an idea before we kind of wrap what type of things that that is public, you know, are not just state and county level type of um, infection rates and positive rates and these type of things, like how deep does this go? Like what is being collected and what's being shared and what are you leveraging for your, your clients and partners? So what's being collected is not everything is not shared, nor should it be, because really when you collect data on this uh, fundamental level, the state collects it from a case report, and the case report is going to have your name and it's going to have all personal information about you. That should not be made public, and it is not made public. But there are other attributes. So I look at sort of the census data in some ways as the gold standard against which we measure other things because that data has been around and is uh, API accessible and has some good insights. 
So they collect by ethnicity, by age, by uh, income. There's a lot of different factors that you can use in aggregate that can tell you about a population and how healthy it is. And so that kind of data, along with the other public health data that we're collecting, can tell you a good story about your population and how prepared it is to be a healthy, uh, thriving population. So how could people learn more about health trends? Is it healthtrends.ai? It is healthtrends.ai. So you can go to our website, healthtrends.ai. You can find us on LinkedIn. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not sure if we have a Telegram account again yet, but we will. Um, there are those very basic places to, to learn about us. And you can always contact me uh, through LinkedIn or through our company website. I'm happy to, to talk about this uh, as so, we so, so, so what's what's the move forward part? What's what's next? What's the next year going to be? What are you going to be working on primarily? So <laughs> I'm going to be getting a cup of coffee because that's what startups do is coffee and, um, and enthusiasm uh, and capital. So what we're going to do, we continue to refine our research and products, um, engage customers, strategic partners. We have spoken with Chainlink because one of the things I alluded to was blockchain. Um, and initially, if you, uh, blockchains are contained systems, so in order to get third-party data into those contained systems, you need to have a mechanism. And we'll, we are working with Chainlink on to develop that right now. Um, so that would be one, one aspect. We've actually had inquiries about data visualization from different types of people, um, some that you might not really suspect, like artists, uh, because there's a lot of move um, in this world about how to make sense of data. And so there are just a lot of different types of requests to build out our ecosystem and scale. That's that's what we'll be working on. Well, we look forward to hearing about the next steps. And uh, hopefully next time when we all do meet, we will be <laughs> back on the right coast in person. So thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. And thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.